Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Major League Sports Science Coordinator at the LA Dodgers, Kate Weiss. this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, so I'm absolutely delighted to get Kate Weiss on for this episode. So Kate was introduced to me from by Patrick Ward, who is at the Seattle Seahawks and came on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So when I get a recommendation, especially from someone like Patrick, I'm definitely all over it and jump at the chance to speak to said person. So said person was Kate and absolutely did not disappoint. So Kate is super, super smart working in baseball with the LA Dodgers and in this episode we discuss we first discuss given what's happened over the last six months and a couple of episodes that have come out around females in sports science and training conditioning naturally we start there and get Kate's take on that and how her experiences have been shaped by being a female in uh, a male-dominated industry like sports science then we move on to more day-to-day workings at the Dodgers. So train load monitoring, um, daily and weekly processes, uh, loading metrics, and then finish off with some recovery strategies given the intensity of the season in baseball, but that's actually been increased because of um, because of COVID. So get a bit of an insight into how they're dealing with that at the Dodgers. So really interesting episode coming up with Kate. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kate Weiss. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome Kate Weiss. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for fitting me into a not only a busy schedule, but definitely a, a, chaotic, a chaotic one from, by the, from the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> well, anyone that doesn't know who you are, you just want to give us a bit of a, a background on yourself, uh, what you've done previously, uh, and what you do in LA. Sure. So um, my name is Kate, and I'm actually from Los Angeles, which is pretty cool to be back. I did my undergrad out here at USC in kinesiology, which is kind of where I got my start. I was interning in football, American football, in strength conditioning, and I just loved it. And then my senior year, I took a biomechanics course, and that just blew my mind, and things took off. And then I ended up moving to Indiana to go to Ball State, and that was a pretty cool experience. They had a really amazing biomechanics lab, 
and did a ton of um, research there as a research assistant and looked at the impact of fatigue on lower extremity mechanics during sidestepping. So I was looking at women actually because they have a higher incidence of ACL. Uh, I had their soccer and field hockey teams. And then I was the strength coach for men's tennis. So it was kind of a nice blend. And then after that, I knew that I wanted to kind of keep going. I had a lot of questions in terms of mechanics and movement and injury risk. And I wanted to find a way to take what I did outside of the lab because while the lab was super informative, it was just a quick snapshot and it took a while to turn the results around. And I knew in professional sports and even in NCAA here, like you don't have that kind of time. So through a friend, I found out about the uh, sports science PhD program at Auckland University of Technology. And I told myself, if you get a scholarship, you're going. And I did. So I moved to New Zealand and I studied there and I was doing my research on quantifying and understanding lower extremity load in their professional men's basketball team. So amazing experience using wearables to quantify differences between sides and uh, terms of load in the lower extremities during practice and games. And during that, I got to travel a lot and do a lot of the different conferences and present my research and meet a lot of people here, actually. So many of the professional teams send people from their organization now to these conferences so they, they can stay on the cutting edge with research and apply it. And I met a lot of people that way. And when I ended up uh, graduating and moving back, I was doing a bit of consulting and ended up meeting the director of performance here at the Dodgers. And now here I am. Good story. Good story. Yeah. I actually visited USC um, to visit the sports science guys uh, before they headed out to the Seahawks um, yeah. in Jan January January 19 and for a Brit to go over there and see them kind of facilities was absolutely incredible absolutely yeah it was great 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 That's place strange. just the, the vibe of the whole place we had some food in the uh, canteen area which like again just blew my mind with the kind of the the, the dark um, canteen area with the music blasting out it was great yeah. yeah the whole experience was brilliant yeah oh that's awesome yeah, yeah it's a, a beautiful campus and yeah. such a great program yeah absolutely so what was it like living in New Zealand from a for, for a American I love New Zealand yeah. um, such a unique culture and one of the things that I love especially being in this field is the country loves sports they yeah. live for it I remember during the World Cup when I was there, it was over where you are. And so the time difference was insane. They would start school late. They would open banks late. People would be getting up at 3 a.m. You'd see the lights on in the neighborhood because everyone was watching the games. And it was such a cool thing, too, because the All Blacks won that year. Yes. And, I, 2015? and we always. 2015? Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 So such a unique experience being there and just. Even at the university where I was, there was always like countdowns to the Olympics, countdowns to the Commonwealth Games, countdown, you know, to the world. And everything was just so focused on sports and the people are so warm there. I remember when I moved there, someone was like, oh, do you need to borrow my car? And I thought that would never happen. <laughs> no. yeah. If someone offered me their car, I'd be like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, fantastic. So so one thing that's been very much in, in my mind the last couple of weeks, um, and that's off the back of a podcast that I did um, pretty six weeks ago now, and that was with Brian Geraghty, Sophia Nymphius, and Lorena Torres. And that was about the barriers for females in strength and conditioning or sports science. So I'd like to put that to you as well and just get your experiences of being a female in a very male dominated industry and see if there's any stories that potentially you could share with us yes so i was very lucky a mentor i had back in undergrad told me 
from the get-go, he's like, you're going to come up against barriers. That's just the way the world is. But there are only barriers if you let them be barriers. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And I just made sure that when I showed up, I showed up like I knew I should be there and acted from that place. And even here coming into baseball, I never played softball. I have no baseball experience. And this is very much a sport where players become coaches and most of the people working in baseball at some point played. So I knew coming in, I had a lot to learn and that I was working with people that this was their life and this is what they had always known. So making sure that I came in from a place of being supportive and understanding and trying to learn from them and, you know, have them know that I was there to support them. I wasn't trying to change everything. I wasn't trying to make their lives harder. I was there to help in any way I could. And I asked a lot of questions and I humbled myself a lot asking questions that were at times a bit embarrassing just with a lot of the sports jargon. There's a lot of funny terms in baseball. And I would, you know, just walk in and be like, hey, what does this mean? And they would all laugh because it was funny. And and that's kind of how I set the tone. And I just, in the back of my mind, I knew, like, I worked really hard to get here. I'm an expert at what I do. And I can add value. And as long as I'm coming to things from that place, I find that I don't have a lot of issues as a woman. Um, there's always the small things, just like when you go places, there's not facilities for women. You know, I don't have my own locker room. Thankfully, the guys, like, we have a setup that's really great, and they've always been really open and welcoming to me. So that's definitely helped. But I always have in mind, like, that I need to be respectful of the fact that they're used to just having guys around here. So I try not to make it uncomfortable or anything like that. So perhaps maybe just being a little bit more mindful of the situation has been maybe the biggest thing, whereas maybe if I was a man, that wouldn't be something I had to think about as much. But yeah, thankfully, like it's been pretty smooth and I've had a lot of great support kind of all throughout my career up to this point. So it's been really good. How were the guys with you when you first came in, apart from enjoying the fact that you didn't know all the terms and things? <laughs> the guys have been great, actually. They're really nice and really, we, I think, do a really good job with scouting and all of that. So a lot of our guys are just really friendly and kind and warm. And for the Latin guys, I've been trying to take Spanish so that I can at least text with them in Spanish. I realized that was a barrier at the end of last year that I felt I didn't have as close of a relationship with those guys. So I've been kind of working on learning Spanish to overcome that. And they've been really receptive. I just find with these guys, like being there, listening, trying not to ask them for too much since they get asked for so much throughout the day has been kind of key. And having, you know, my boss and my coworkers trusting and supporting me made the players, I think, a lot more comfortable with me as well. Did you give yourself a certain amount of time to kind of understand, try to understand the sport before trying to implement anything or tweak anything? Or was it when you came in the role, was it almost like straight, straight into the fire? No, I definitely took a, a bit of time um, just to try and learn. I went to a pitching conference my second month with our pitching coordinator, which that was an interesting, actually, that was an interesting experience as a woman because I was the only woman there. The only one. <laughs> and people would come up to me trying to figure out, like, is she a pitching coach? What does she do? And I had one person ask me, it's like, my daughter is eight and she wants to be in sports. Like, what did you do to get here? And I was like, wow. No pressure. <laughs> She's eight. Just let her have fun. She'll figure it out. But I didn't, you know, like you forget sometimes and then you realize like, oh, this is different. But um, yeah, a lot of learning, just a lot of trying to be around to see things, just spending time in the weight room, spending time upstairs in the training room, talking to our skills coaches and our strength coaches and just trying to get a grasp on what they know 
from this area, what they don't know, and way little ways that I could add something that might make their lives easier. So one thing we spoke about beforehand, which I think is really interesting, especially coming from um, the, from the UK, where it's pretty slightly different with what can where sports science sits, and it's pretty it's pretty set where sports science is under a performance department director of performance head of performance and you've got one strand at strength and conditioning one strand sports science or there are thereabouts but what we were speaking about beforehand is sports science especially in baseball could sit under a couple of different um, verticals so yeah. do you want to explain that to us and how that influences what you do day to day of course so um for me personally i am in the performance department the strength and conditioning area so my first points of contact are the strength coaches and then medical and then the skills coaches after that. Whereas there are some people in my position at other organizations that sit in the stats analytics department. So the information that they're providing to the people that they report to is slightly different because those people are coming from a different lens and a different approach. So. I think it kind of really boils down to like, what are the questions you're trying to answer with the data? And specifically, what are the questions that you're trying to answer for the people that you support? So for us, it's important to us, like the player's job is to play. So my job is never to tell them not to play. And so strength, conditioning, medical, like our job is to make sure that we give them as much as we can to ensure that they are able to play. So even if they're fatigued, you know, what can we do on our end to help with that so that they can do their job? And that's kind of where we always go back to is like their job is to play and our job is to support them doing theirs. So how we approach that is quite different, I think, than, you know, others perhaps, depending on what their question and their motivation is around you know what they're trying to do so when it comes to that question what questions from a i suppose a really high level are you actually trying to answer at this moment in time or how has them questions developed over the time you've been there might be quite a nice quite an interesting answer yes yeah, so you know our job and our main question is you know are they ready to handle the demands of the sport baseball they play almost every day we have guys that play up to 20 consecutive games in a row before they get an off day, which if you think about it, it's funny, I think before working in baseball, I didn't really have a true understanding or appreciation of just how much they do. And when you think about time on the field, that can be several hours a night. You're standing in cleats, you're running in cleats, you're swinging at a high speed, you're throwing at a high speed, you're turning double plays, sliding like there's a lot going on and there's a lot more I think activity and movement than we really realized until we kind of started to quantify what is what is happening on the field especially for certain players in certain positions and have we adequately prepared them for that so making sure that we start with an understanding of you know what are their needs and what do they need to be able to handle and how much time do we have to get them there? And then how do we keep them there? You know, because as you know, even with lifting weights, right? If you PR, but then you don't maintain that level of strength, you lose it, right? And that's the same with adapting to load. So for us, it's making sure we get them to a point where no matter if they're playing nine innings or 18, as it can happen, they're ready for that and they're also ready to then play the next day so those are kind of things that we start with is okay first what are the needs of the sport and then what do each individual player need and then where are they at now and week to week how is that changing how are they recovering how are they adapting and then from our end we can tweak things from an snc standpoint from a recovery modality standpoint maybe even supplementation, nutritional interventions, but things that we can do to make sure that they're resilient and able to handle what we have planned or what is what it is that we're trying to plan and prepare them for. Yeah. So when it comes to demands of the sport, and I'm going to put this on you now, but 
in terms of the different playing positions, what are they been expected to handle? I know you've mentioned a few of them. Actually, just time on feet been a been a basic one. Um, but in terms of the demands that are put on these guys, for someone that knows zero about baseball, i.e., me, it'd be interesting to see what the demands for these guys are. Yeah. So if you think about some of our outfielders, especially our center fielders, like a lot of your guys up the middle are going to get the most action. So you're you know, pitchers and catchers are here, but then you have your second baseman, your shortstop, and your center fielder. A lot of balls are going to go up the middle that way, or they're going to be running to catch a fly ball. So if you look at just their fielding, and then you look at if they're hitting well and they're getting on base a lot, our guys can cover a ton of distance. So if you think about it in terms of, like, bases as a distance, from base to base is about 90 feet. Guys can cover 22 feet like 22 bases in a game or you know 2200 feet for some of these guys um they can have anywhere from you know two at bats to eight at bats to nine at bats it just really kind of depends on how the game's being played and the opponent so keeping all of that in mind plus just time out on the field anywhere from an hour to several hours every night it's a lot and you figure too like that's just playing time, right? You still have batting practice or cage work. You have sometimes, you know, fielding work or defensive work or pitchers have, you know, bullpens and all these other things and relief pitchers pitch multiple nights in a row. There's just a ton that you have to be ready for. And so just keeping those things in mind with pitchers, your starting pitchers, the ones that are going to go, you know, five to seven innings, that would be like, your endurance runners, right? And then your relief pitchers are your sprinters. Short bouts, but they may sprint a couple days in a row, and so you have to have them ready for that kind of demand. So our strength and conditioning guys do a really great job of considering the different energy systems being used, building up tissue tolerance, and then, you know, power, endurance, strength, all those things come into play in different aspects of the game. So making sure that our guys are ready for that is key. We'll come. We'll come on to the physical stuff in a minute, which I think will be, re- be really interesting. But from just what you've said, the psychological load of these guys is super, super high. Obviously, tons of traveling, um, repetition day after day after day after day, game after game, and then there's obviously yeah. pra- practice in there. Especially now with this condensed season, it's I'm guessing it's just go, go, go. So from a psychological standpoint, is there anything that you're doing? that is assessing their readiness from a, a psychological point of view to actually be able to play and perform? So we monitor, um, you know, how their stress and perception of stress and energy and soreness and all that is. There's also, for us, we, we provide an intensity score for games. So we consider, you know, is this night two or night three for a reliever? You know, what are what is the pitch count situation? You know, is it two outs and two runners on base already? You know, like, where are we at in the season? What kind of psychological, additional psychological stress is there? We also quantify travel and the intensity of travel. So we look at both the amount of time and the intensity from the stance of, if, if you're a minor league player, you might have an eight-hour bus ride. And sitting down for eight hours is pretty brutal. You can get or, to the length of the country here with eight hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have a four, you know, 4 a.m. bus to catch a flight to then get off the boat. And you play till 1 a.m. And then you're going to get up and you're going to go and you're going to play that same night. You know, sometimes depending on our schedule, we might have a game. We finish at 11 p.m. They shower, they eat, they get on a plane, they wake up, they're three hours ahead in another time zone. So we definitely take those things into account because that adds that additional internal load. And then just, you know, for us talking to our guys, understanding where they're at, understanding for this player, this is, you know, a lot more for him or, you know, maybe he's got a new baby at home. So when they're home in town, he's not sleeping as well. These are all kind of things that get, factored into our intensity scores for these different things so that we have an understanding of 
where they're at. We do try and stay on top of so-and-so's going through a breakup, especially at a minor league level. You know, he may not be sleeping as well. His energy may be not where it needs to be. So just kind of more closely monitoring and checking in with those people is kind of how we like to do it. We find just with like the psychological questionnaires, getting guys to do, you know, a rescue that's 36 plus questions every three days. It's a lot to ask. So we try to, as much as we can from our end, just make sure that we're touching base with our guys and understanding what's going on and noting that and making sure that everyone's aware, you know, Hey, this guy might be a little bit more tired this week, you know, maybe a little bit more restorative work or recovery based things, or he's not sleeping well. Maybe we let him take a nap, give him a later start, all those kinds of things factor into what we do. One thing that's getting talked about a lot, and I think it probably always has, and it's it's some of the stuff that you've just mentioned there in terms of just the communication with these guys. And one thing I find really interesting is is that within itself, but how that then you have a chat with the player in a corridor because he's walking past and you realise that he won't, he kind of feels like he wants to speak to you about something, but how that actually gets translated into actual information that moves across the organization for people that want to know and how it gets logged, analyzed, used for future reference, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't just stay as a conversation. It actually becomes something quantifiable. How do you guys go about doing that? I guess that's probably the art to this. So there's also the piece where, you know, confidentiality for these players and trust is really important. So the more that they understand that we're there for them and that anything that they tell us is private and that we're going to make sure that we're doing what we need to on our end to support them. And that could be something subtle. I just say like, hey, I think this person could use a little bit more sort of work today or, hey, check in with this person to see how they're doing. It allows you to maintain that privacy for them, but also make sure that the people hands-on with them are using care and understanding that, hey, this person needs to be prioritized and we need to make sure that we're doing what we need to. And, you know, things can manifest in so many different ways, especially with the psychological stress, right? Like stress is stress on the body. And whether it's from a really hard workout session or just a really emotionally taxing time, it impacts things. And even if I just said to you, like, hey, keep an eye on this guy, you might see that his mechanics have changed because he's tired, doesn't have the energy, or maybe he's not as, you know, attentive when you're trying to get his attention or trying to work on something. Like, there's subtle cues and things that you can use to help guide how you care for each player. And that's something that our team is really good at. And for us, too, our front office is extremely hands-on. I see them every single day. They're down here talking to players. They know our guys really well, and our guys, you know, like them and trust them. So it's really helpful in that regard as well. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Kate. I hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we continue the theme of train load monitoring, but we have a little look at communicating that data to coaches and staff. And then we finish off, given the state of the, the packed calendar in a normal year with baseball, we discuss recovery strategies, and that's just been accentuated with COVID and the, and the tight-packed schedule that these guys in baseball are facing, or across the world in different sports are facing, but particularly in baseball. So a really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sport, a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. So Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid, and reliable athlete assessment. So for the first time ever, you can access metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics, and speed agility, all with the single wearable sensor. So Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organizations, performance centers, teams, and athletes to make data-driven decisions. So this technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. 
You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow him on social media at Output Sports, where you can also schedule a demo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile, and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations, and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. So coming back to the, the physical and the more external load monitoring, which is, that was your PhD. That's what you said for your PhD, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what, what kind of things, that, what kind of, I suppose, what kind of tech have you got and how do you utilize it from an external load point of view with the guys that you're working with? Mm-hmm. So tech is very tricky at the professional level. Each different um, sport has so many rules around what can and can't be used. Wearables are always very tricky, even with just um, incorrect information around wearables. You know, we also have all of our players have agents and agents, you know, have the player's best interests in mind and want to protect them, but sometimes that can actually be harmful because they'll say like, hey, please don't, you know, let them collect data because they feel like it might be used against the player. But from us and at least in our organization, the data that I collect and the data that we use in terms of tech, that goes back to the strength coaches and they use that to help improve training, you know, protocols and things that we're doing to make these guys you know, as athletic as possible and as good as we can and to maximize what we can. And it's not like something where I, like the front office never asks me for a report on how high someone jumps or anything like that. You know, for us on the S&C side, that's just a really good gauge of, you know, lower body power, fatigue, things of that nature. So there's always this, you know, balance with what we can and can't use and then what we choose to use with that in mind. So I'm always very transparent about the data and I allow the, you know, players can see the data, they can see the, the group data. I always de-identify the rest of the group so that people feel comfortable and safe. But um, in-game, we have a camera system all of the stadiums do that allows us to get, you know, total distance, speed, acceleration, a lot of those, like bat speed, things of that nature, velocity for pitches, things like that. So those are an easy way for us in-game to get information. At our developmental level, we have a lot of different tools that we can use. Even, you know, motion capture can be something you can use. A lot of teams use a lot of these different tools. So it's really kind of what information do we need? How can we use it? 
But at the very basic level, I think because when I was in school, I wasn't with a team that had the kind of budget we have here. So from my perspective, I want it to be something that you can always quantify that you don't have to rely on technology for. So a lot of what I do is pretty basic in terms of, you know, session RPE as a means of quantifying load. And for us too, with that, it increases communication between groups with the developmental level. And even here as well, the strength coaches are the ones that log the numbers that I look at. So that has them speaking to skills coaches, your pitching coaches, your hitting coaches, field coaches to have an understanding of in the practice such you know situation, what was this player doing today? And that communication is really good uh, here and throughout the organization. So that allows us to kind of keep track of where guys are at and what they're doing in all the different areas and to do so without being reliant on technology, which as you know, can often <laughs> not work the way you want it to (laughs) you don't want to miss out on you know important information so for us keeping it simple and having a very simple approach with quantifying workload and then being able to pull in extra things is helpful in that regard so in game no wearables allowed in game there's a very short list i want to say there's maybe two to three items and yeah, for us, it's like a whoop band I know is on there, which great, but that's less, that's more your internal load based on external load, right? So we don't necessarily need that in the game per se. It's nice to have, but it's not necessary. And then, um, yeah, there's very few things. I think the list is quite short now. So we focus more on camera systems because we know we're going to have that no matter where we go and then the stuff that we do ourselves yeah i didn't realize you had yeah i didn't realize you guys had the, the camera systems and i'm i probably would have guessed there's some but is that that's obviously mandatory in all stadiums and that's shareable and all that kind of stuff yes so everybody has it so it's pretty fair too which is nice there's not a situation where a a team can't afford it kind of a thing. So I like that too. I I think, well, it's nice to have an edge with stuff. I think it's more how you implement than anything. So I think as long as you have a system that allows you to use the information, collecting data that you can't do anything with is descriptive, but not useful. So making sure that whatever we're looking at, we can use and do something from our end is, is kind of the way to go. So cameras are good and they're everywhere and we don't have to worry about it so because i guess you can give 10 teams the same data and everyone's going to use it manipulate it pull out different things so it doesn't really make a difference whether you've got the same or different because it's pretty different anyway in the in the in the within each organization exactly yeah yeah. and it's like when you think about it right player wise like a player can bounce around to five organizations. They're all going to do differently because it's not just that one person, right? It's the group. It's kind of the same thing with the data. Exactly. So from an, from an injury risk or mitigating injury risk point of view, is there anything that you guys are doing that is has been particularly successful or anything that you've moved away from that's not been particularly successful or not able to integrate within the structure of the organization? I think um, there's a couple of things that we do really well. I think from mitigating the risk, having guys built up to be able to handle what they need to in game is critical because even if you're strong, if you can't maintain that and you don't have the tolerance built up to maintain that for as long as they need to, eventually things are going to break down, right? And maybe they don't. You know, there's always those players that can handle pretty much anything and then there's guys that can't so for us making sure that the that we've done everything we can on our end to build them up to where they need to be and keep them there I think having a really good screening process in place you know when we start spring training we 
have spent a ton of time developing our assessment protocol that we do with every single player throughout the entire organization. And that helps shape what we do in the weight room, what we do on the field, how we condition them, and, you know, what we're trying to work on to help improve, you know, even swing performance, right? If you can't get into that position, it's going to be really hard to coaches get pretty frustrated when they're like, oh, we're telling you to do it and you're not doing it. It's like, no, my body physically doesn't do that. So the more that we're able to use that as a way to kind of build our guys up and figure out foundationally what do they need, what needs to go into their, you know, prep routines, all of that, I think those things have really made such a difference. And, you know, the nice thing is, too, is our guys have bought in. So they know that we're using that to help them get better. And we always try to make sure that we connect the things that we're doing back to what they're doing on the field. So we're not just trying to make them really good at squatting. Like, that's really not the case. They're really good at lunging, right? Like, we want you to move down the mound quickly. We want you to be able to swing and develop create as much power as possible so you can hit it out of the park. And we want you to be able to sprint faster than anyone on any other team so that you can steal bases and you can get to balls more quickly. So the assessment process has been really key. And I work with some really smart people who have done a really great job on that. So getting all that information together, figuring out who needs what and what we can do and also monitoring tracking for improvements in those areas has been really, I think, something that's helped us tremendously. Are you able to go into any more detail with what the screening looks like for your guys? I could Please. do a little bit of that, yeah. Please um, say no. If, I don't want to make you ask yeah. say something that you're not allowed to. So we definitely do like a more general movement screen, and then we move on to something more specific to the sport and specific to that player and the positions that they play because I think both of those things are important and then you know we also do your basic like what you would do with your physios or our athletic trainers do their assessments and then we look at you know your basic anything from aerobic capacity to your power and based on those things and knowing for these people this is what we need this is where they've been this is where we're trying to get them to maybe this has gotten worse or this has gotten better, we can then say, okay, of these areas, here are the big rocks we need to address first. And then we build from there. So making sure that we start with the basics like anybody would in terms of your general movement patterns and then going from that to the very specific baseball stuff. And there's a ton of great ones out there and we've taken so many community education courses and classes and taken the things from each of those that we really loved that we felt were meaningful for our group and adapted them to create a little bit of our own thing, which has been cool. Your own twist. Um, one thing you mentioned was the importance and the success of the buy-in that you've had from the players. I guess there'll be organizations where that's potentially not the case, whether that be in baseball or football or wherever. What particularly have you done? I know you mentioned trying to always relate that back to the sport, but is there anything else that you've tried to do or what's maybe specific to your group that's been good, that's allowed that buying to be uh, so successful? So definitely at the developmental level, we put a lot of emphasis on education for our players. So we made sure that each of the different um departments spends time with those guys explaining what we do and our philosophies as an organization and as a team so that they understand, okay, this is for this and this is why we do this and this is who does that so that they know this person helps me with this, this person helps me with this. I used to laugh when I would go visit the affiliates, our, our developmental teams last season because they'd be like, oh, you're the workload lady. But I mean, I know all of them. I knew them after spring training. They'd be like, guess how much I did of this and I'm sleeping <laughs> better and I'm this and I'm that. So they understood and they would ask questions. And we do a really, we really pride ourselves on being able to scout guys and have them come up to our org and make it to our major league team. So a lot of our young guys are homegrown, which is cool. 
so they've had that education and understanding and even with our older guys that are already here we make sure day one you come to our team we're assessing you we're explaining kind of things how they work who does what and you sure that we help them understand what their goals are as players and the things that we do that can help to support that so there's a lot of that and then also because we have so many guys that have come up through our system and know why we do things and believe in it and know that it helps them they tend to kind of indoctrinate the others as well which is really cool so a lot of my young guys like they want to do the different tests and things that we offer and have available because they want to know am i better where am i at like maybe i felt this today can we check this so they understand what the tools are that are available to them and how they can use it to be better athletes and i think that's something that's really helped all along the way is they understand this is for this and this is how it helps and we make sure that we continue to as a group have a cohesive message for the players so you mentioned the camera system that's available in in game how are you and again i don't want to ask too many questions so please say i can't talk about that if if, if that's the case sure. but in terms of tech or um ways that you're quantifying pitches how you're quantifying the loads that is going through these guys in practice can you are you able to wear wearables during that time is there anything specific that you're using the only reason i i, I come back to a, an experience I had with Catapult and they were trying to develop, or they did develop at one point, um, a pitching metric, so it counted pitches, they've done a similar thing in in cricket over here. But is there anything that you guys are using similar to that or gone another way with regards to, with regards to practice? So with the camera system, our goal is just to understand what are the demands on the field. You know, it's, we also, in addition to the camera system, we also have coaches out watching and monitoring what's happening too because we want to make sure that we don't miss anything and tech, always with technology it's extremely helpful when it works and when it doesn't you need to have a you need to have a backup plan so we do and um, for us it just gives us a bigger picture of everything happening for these guys and then helps us kind of work backwards so in practice we know that this is what was happening in the game. And so that may mean the next day that their skilled work time changes as a result of what happened in the game or what didn't happen in the game. You know, we're always just trying to think of these things as dials, right? Like we dial up the baseball work or we dial up the SNC work or the conditioning depending on the needs and what did or didn't happen in a game. So for us, it's just giving us a guide to know, okay, this is what he's been doing and maybe that's changed and we need to make sure that he can still do that or maybe it's increased and we need to figure out how to adjust other things. So for us, it's just toggles and ways to balance. And so for us, that's, that's key. Ultimately, again, their job is to play baseball and skills, skills work if they're working on something like a mechanical change that may require more. So for us, it's not even necessarily that we have tech quantifying that. We use different things for sure, but understanding that the volume and intensity has gone up there, so somewhere else we need to adjust. And so for us, that's kind of where that comes in. So it's big picture. What is the athlete doing? What, are they, what have they done? Where are they at now? What do we have upcoming? And then for each of these areas, these you know buckets or whatever, what can we adjust? Do we need to adjust? Do they need more actually? Do they need less? Um, how are they feeling? So it just gives us like little ways to fine tune for each person. So for us, the camera system is great because it gives us another like set of eyes that always looks at things the same way, right? And from there, we can look at what we saw and what they've been doing, what couple days before look like and say okay we know we have this upcoming they also have travel across several time zones they also have this they have that all right what do we need to do so for us that's kind of been key and each department uses technology a little bit differently 
So for our skills coaches, again, it kind of goes back to what is the question you're trying to answer? What do you need to know? So for certain skills coaches, you know, technology in the bullpen can be really useful for them to see, you know, how it's really single changed, how below changed, has spin rate changed, all these different things that they use. Whereas for us in SMC, it's more a factor of like, did they do more skills work? Did they do less? Was it more intense? And what are the other things that are happening for this player so that we can, on our end, tweak what we do? Awesome. I couldn't go a full episode with you in baseball without discussing recovery. Sure. With the crazy schedule, especially now, like I said before, even even more crazy. What's your, I suppose, what's your philosophy when it comes to recovery and ensuring these guys can not only go tonight, but go tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, with all the factors, phys- uh, physiological and, and psychological that we've, dis- that we've discussed already? Mm-hmm. Recovery is super important to us as well. And our guys are really, thankfully, quite good at letting us know when they're feeling tired or they're feeling things. A lot of them have really good, like that kinesthetic awareness to let us know like, hey, my legs feel really tired or I feel really slow today or whatever it is. And so though we, on our end, are able to say, okay, here are a couple tools that might work really well for that. And I think instead of doing everything all the time, you want to kind of pick and choose in the same way and periodize what you do with recovery. Especially like in the off season, we're not pushing recovery modalities, all of them, all at once is hard, right? Because we're trying to really push that load in the weight room and conditioning. And they have more time to sleep. They have more time to recover because the demands are less. So there, you know, we're not as worried unless something comes up and they need something and we give them a little bit more. But when we get into hard parts of the season and hard parts of the schedule, that's when we can start to incorporate more recovery modalities and get a little bit more bang for our buck with those because it's a new stimulus and their body's not already used to those things. So what's nice is each guy kind of has their own formula and what works for them and they know that. And we also continue to take classes and bring people in and figure out what we have available and what's out there so that we can continue to provide that for our guys. We also, again, with like supplement strategies can be useful, you know, making sure they're sleeping. Last year, we got a lot of our guys on the blue light blockers because they love playing video games. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah. So I was like, look, if you're going to be up playing video games, like I get it, especially for a lot of our guys, like you have all that adrenaline going into a game, you're a starter at 7 PM, you play, seven innings or you're playing nine innings, you know, as a position player and you leave the park at midnight and you're just like amped up. And while video games is not like my first choice, uh, what can I do? So I'm not forcing them to do too much. That's completely different. That would help. So blue light blockers for our younger guys that uh, share rooms on the road. I'm at earplugs for some of them, things like that where we can tweak how they sleep or help improve recovery in some capacity. Even something as simple as like when they're really, you know, lower body fatigue, putting your legs up a wall. So like yoga pose, but it helps bring your nervous system down. You can do it anywhere. It's expensive, even meditation, things like that. So we make sure that we have a lot of options available and that we also keep track of what works really well for certain players in certain contexts so that we know, okay, this guy had a really hard night. We might want to have him come do this. That way we can kind of adjust them there. Mm-hmm. So you've got almost like a menu that these guys are able to tap into? Not not formally written down okay. for them, but okay. yes. They, they know if they come to us and they say like, hey, I'm feeling a little tight, I'm feeling a little sore, I'm feeling general fatigue, whatever it is, they know that we have a series of options available for this person. We might say, hey, this works really well for you. We used it back at this point. You know, this might be a good time to use that or have you been doing this? You might want to try this. But always starting with the less is more approach just because adherence is important and getting them to do it. So we start with what's the low-hanging fruit that they're not doing that we can do first and then kind of go from there. 
Is there any specific modalities that are more popular with your guys in terms of recovery strategies? I think, honestly, for each guy, it's very different. And I okay. think, too, age is very much a factor. Okay. Our younger, our younger guys, I would say, like, once – it's funny, we were talking about this. Once guys get to be around 30 is when you start to see a lot more time spent on – you know, like prehab exercises and stretching and things like that. They take a bit more time to warm up and recover than our younger guys that are super resilient and bounce back quickly. And each guy, I think when you're younger, you're still kind of learning. So you try everything or there's a, a senior player and you like him and you think he does good stuff. So you do what he's doing. Um, I also try to demonstrate so that people ask questions and are like, what's that? How does that work? What do you do? So that they generally when they come to you and they want to know, that's a really great learning opportunity and a way to introduce new things. So everything from, you know, your hot cold to your Normatex to, you know, even just doing like an aerobic session can be really useful for some guys so it just for each person it depends positionally too pitchers are obviously going to do things arm care wise that are different and position players aren't throwing nearly as much or as hard so that's kind of how it is but we have a lot of different tools and a lot of guys that gravitate towards different things Mm -hmm. probably the hardest part about traveling take everything with you yeah no absolutely i guess over 30 they're starting to think how i how long i've got left i've got to really take care of myself everything like recovery becomes a little bit more vigilant and prehab and all that kind of stuff naturally yeah yeah and i mean it's it's a hormonal thing too right like for especially for men i think it's right around 28 is when you hormonally peak and then you know for each guy it's different but if you can imagine with the amount of volume your hormonal profiles are going to completely change from the start of the season to the end, even your body composition, just because for some guys it's hard to keep weight on because you're playing so much. And there's just a lot of things that change. So I think as you get older and as you've been playing for a longer and longer time, it just, that's going to happen naturally. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's, I think that's a good way to, to round it up. But if anyone wants to dive into your PhD, or ask you any more questions, where's the best place for people to contact you, Kate? Um, definitely check out my, I think my thesis is just posted online. And CaitlinWise at AT is where I published my whole thing. So you can find that online, along with a lot of other papers I've published over time. And here at the Dodgers is a great place to find me. We're pretty active on social media and we have some big projects coming up for the general pop population in terms of baseball performance. So definitely stay tuned to see kind of what's going on there and always feel free to reach out to me via email. Awesome. Cause you did um, a symposium, uh, a little conference, well not little, but a conference from you guys. Is that going to happen again post COVID hopefully? So yeah, definitely. We'd love okay. to bring that back, but in the interim we're working on some other virtual options that awesome. kind of taken place towards the end of the year. So definitely stay tuned for that because it was great. Perfect. It's a great way to we keep everyone connected too. So it's a good networking opportunity. Absolutely. Did, does it, did Parman have a, a Twitter handle? Do you guys put it out on an individual Twitter or is it everyone's Twitter? Um, we're working on that. I okay. know right okay. now actually um, our director of performance posts weekly workouts that okay. everyone can do on um, through the Dodgers. So you can tune in and jump on YouTube and do a workout with them. Some of the stuff we do with our guys, which is pretty cool. But yes, we'll be posting through the Dodgers and getting all of our social media up and running in the next couple of weeks here. Superb. Well, thank you very much for your time, Kate. Really appreciate you uh, fitting me into the, to fit me into the current chaos. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to episode 308 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Kate. So big thanks to Kate for giving up her time in a very, very packed schedule 
uh, with the Dodgers. So we found some time to make it happen uh, and really appreciate Kate for jumping on. Also big thanks to Patrick Ward from the Seahawks who came on a couple of weeks ago and made the introduction to Kate. So really appreciate that. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to iMeasureU, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I appreciate each and every one of their support. So I've got some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player, and I always appreciate any feedback that comes my way. So thank you very much, and I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>